The 2020 Nobel Prize for Chemistry went to Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Dudner for their work on the development of a way to edit the genome using a method now commonly referred to as CRISPR gene editing. This innovation has revolutionized biotechnology and medicine for it allows us to remove existing genes or add new ones, all while the organism is alive. Welcome back to the second episode in my Nobel Prize 2020 series, where I would like to explain to the general public what exactly the Nobel Prize winners developed and how it works. In the first episode of this series, I discussed DNA with you. If you have not listened to this episode yet, and you're not quite sure what DNA is, I would suggest that you do this before moving on with this episode. Also, I will be talking towards the end of this episode about how proteins are made, so it certainly will not hurt to listen to episode 4 of, these, of this podcast, where I talk, as I said, about proteins. Today, I want to take you deeper. We have talked about how the cells in your body, my body, the cells in animals and fungi, plants and even bacteria, stores genetic information when using DNA. This episode looks into how the genetic information stored in DNA is being translated into function, and meaning a process that is typically known as gene expression. My name is Johannes Vogel, and you're listening to Chemistry in Everyday Life, my podcast where I explain the chemistry that happens all around us in layman's terms. Chemistry is the study of the attributes and changes that substances can undergo, no matter if they're gases, liquids, or solids. And believe me when I tell you that this happens everywhere around us at this very moment. The central dogma of molecular biology states that genetic information can be passed from nucleic acid to another nucleic acid. It can be passed from nucleic acid to protein, but once in protein form, it cannot be passed back to nucleic acid form or from protein to another protein. This was defined by Francis Crick, one of the discoverers of DNA in 1958. This podcast episode will look into this statement and illuminate the different steps along this path. Before we start discussing this topic, just to remind ourselves, the last time we spoke about DNA, DNA in a nutshell is a long chain of the ever same repeating unit of a sugar molecule called deoxyribose, followed by a phosphate that links it to another deoxyribose. That is then attached to another phosphate and the list goes on. This is nothing exciting so far. The exciting bit happens when we look at the separate deoxyribose units that have another, I called it decoration in the last episode. On each unit, there is a so-called nucleotide base. The name really is not important. What is important is that these little things are the information, if you will. There are four different nucleotide bases, and they are the letters in which the information is written, if you will. What is more is that these four bases form two base pairs that, for lack of a better term, dock to each other. There is 
adenine that docks to thymine, I call that A to T, and there's guanine that goes with cytosine, and that was G to C. This means that two complementary DNA chains can bind to each other, and they both encode for large amounts of information. All that bonded together as a double-stranded DNA, intertwined into something that we call a double helix. In human cells, you can find these DNA in the cell's nucleus, and in bacteria in something called the nucleoid. That was the essence of the last episode. Now, I will add a little bit more spice to this little story, because DNA is not the only nucleic acid around, no, no. There is another one that is found in every cell, and it is called RNA. Remember DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid? Well, RNA stands for ribonucleic acid. By the name alone, we can already tell that these two chemicals are not too far apart from each other. The sugar unit of the backbone is slightly different. In fact, deoxyribose has one, just one oxygen less than, than ribose. There's one more difference between the two that sounds far more radical than it actually is. The nucleotide base thymine is replaced by a nucleotide base called uracil. I know what you're thinking. Whoa, hang on there, Sparky. Say that again. We change an entire base? Well, yeah, kinda. You see, thymine can also be called 5-methyluracil. And there you see it. Like deoxyribose and ribose are related compounds, so are thymine and uracil. And in fact, uracil binds to adenine just as well as thymine does. So in a nutshell, RNA has a slightly different sugar phosphate backbone, and one base is slightly different. And it is named different so that adenine binds with uracil to form an A to U base pair, rather than an A to T in DNA. The role of RNA in this entire process that we will outline is that of the information transporter. While DNA stays in the cell nucleus, all stowed away as a double helix, RNA tends to remain single and travels outside of the nucleus into the wide world. Well, cell world. And spreads the word, the information around. The question why there are two different kinds of nucleic acids is, to my knowledge, not conclusively known. Most likely it is because DNA in its double helix form that it naturally takes protects genetic information better, while RNA, mainly staying single-stranded, is better suited as an information carrier. At the same time, RNA is also more susceptible to enzymes breaking it down, so it's more reactive. Before we finally go into the outline of the process known as gene expression, let's have a quick word about genes. We hear about genes a lot in the media. It is an abstract concept that is generally understood to translate into a trait of some kind. A very common one that I have come across is in a topic called gene mutations that favor cancer development. This understanding will not help us much here. The Wikipedia definition is that in biology, a gene is a sequence of nucleotides in DNA or RNA 
that encodes the synthesis of a gene product, either RNA or protein. Now this we can work with, where protein or RNA can be read as encodes for a trait. Why can we work with this? Well, because it translates into our understanding of DNA. You see, we talked about chromosomes in the previous podcast episode, where chromosomes are very, very long DNA strands. And each long DNA strand has many, many genes encoded on them. They are these long sequences of nucleotide bases. So you see the, the nucleotide bases, the letters in this particular alphabet, spell out instructions on how to build something. And if we carry this analogy further, a gene is the entire manual on this particular information. Well, now that we know about DNA, RNA, and what genes actually are, let's launch ourselves into this outline. Please be aware that it will heavily simplify this process. There are a lot of details that in my eyes can be omitted in order to not lose sight of the bigger picture. So for all listeners with a passion for genetics or molecular biology, first off, kudos, you guys rock. But I also apologize to you. And by all means, please read up more. It's a fascinating process with so many intricacies. To me, it's a joy to find out about it. So with that said, the general overall process of gene expression goes a little bit like this. Short parts of the DNA double helix of a chromosome in the nucleus is unzipped. Unzipped for lack of a better term. Um, and each DNA sequence, remember those A's and T's and G's and C's, they are paired with ribonucleic acids to give the complementary sequence as an RNA. So like the mirror image, but an RNA form. With, of course, the main difference that the adenine A on the DNA pairs with the uracil U on an RNA. This will give a very long strand of RNA that can travel outside of the nucleus. This is all done with the help of a set of enzymes called the RNA polymerases. Non-bacterial cells have three different types, and they are used depending on the purpose of the RNA. There is messenger RNA, short mRNA, whose sequence will be translated into a protein. Then there's transfer, or tRNA, that will create the link between mRNA and amino acids. Amino acids make up proteins. And finally, we have ribosomal RNA that is used in ribosomes. Ribosomes is a fancy term. Ribosomes are the protein-making stations of the cell, the factories. This section is called transcription. Why? Well, because we're copying or transcribing, if you want to use fancy terms again, the gene sequence of DNA into a complementary RNA strand. So we're making a copy. And that then can go elsewhere in the cell. But there are a whole bunch of questions open here. For starters, if genes are the sequences that we need to copy, how does the RNA know where to start? It's a really long DNA, and there are lots of genes on just one strand. Well, the answer is, there are sequences that are not part of a gene. But they indicate the start of a gene, okay? 
These regions are called promoter regions of genes, well, because they promote the DNA and transcription. An example that I learned about in high school was an area called the Tata box, which is effectively a set of thymines and adenines, often when looked at spelling out the word Tata with, with lots of A's. Talk about researchers having a lot of imagination and naming something. Then obviously the question begs, how do they know when to stop? Well, that it's called a terminator sequence. Typically, after that, in anything but bacterial cells, the RNA strands will receive modifications to make them more resistant to enzyme attacks or other chemical or physical stress before they leave the cell nucleus. Now, for many RNAs, the tRNAs or other so-called non-coding RNAs, this is the end of the journey, and they go and fulfill their function. The messenger RNA or mRNA has one more step to undergo, and this is another fun one. Remember I said I will talk about proteins? This section may recap a bit of what was said in episode 4 of this podcast. We're now at the stage where we need to translate nucleic acids into proteins. Remember that according to the central dogma of molecular biology, this is the irreversible step. The information will find its final destination. Once mRNA leaves the cell nucleus through its pores, it will travel to the protein maker station of the cell. These places are called ribosomes, as I mentioned. And what happens there is actually really quite cool. The mRNA docks onto the ribosome. It has a starting sequence for that. And then it goes through the sequence. And what it does is it breaks it down into sets of three letters or triplets. In the meantime, the transfer RNA or tRNA does something else quite cool. It finds amino acids. These are the building blocks for proteins. Proteins are long folded chains of amino acids that fulfill a multitude of functions in the body, from enzymes over transporting molecules and signaling all the way to giving structural integrity to a body. So the tRNA finds one specific amino acid according to its structure. There are 20 essential amino acids that the body needs, and each one of them has at least one specific tRNA associated with it. And one more thing, tRNA can bind to mRNA. And they do this with, you guessed it, a triplet sequence. I'm not sure if you already see a pattern here, but here's how it works. Ribosomes read out the messenger RNA or mRNA sequence and present specific triplets of nucleotide letters. Let's take an example. Let's take AUG, or another one would be CGA, for example. And the complementary tRNA, here that would be, let's have a look, UAC, and for the other one would be GCU. And they, these tRNAs, these complementary ones, they bind to the triplet that's been presented. And with it, they bring a specific amino acid uh, that the ribosome binds to the existing chain of amino acids that we already have there. 
that was already there from the previous triplets. These codes, these triplet codes, are actually well known by now. So for example, what I mentioned, UAC, that encodes for an amino acid called tyrosine, and GCU encodes for one called alanine. You can even Google this, you can look it up if it interests you. Once the amino acid sequence is completed, the very long protein chain, sometimes thousands of amino acids, is then folded up and modified to suit its purpose. And thus, the gene is successfully expressed, hence the term gene expression. I know I'm just summing this up in a mini paragraph, but isn't this amazing? This is a biological version of information transfer from one format into another that evolved millions of years before we even heard of electronics and computers. To me, this is incredible every time I read about it. And what is even better, this now sets us up perfectly to talk about the innovation that was the achievement that garnered our researchers their chemistry Nobel Prize in 2020. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'm looking forward to hearing from you in the next. Please leave comments on Twitter under at chemistryineve1 or write directly to me under chem.podcast at gmail.com. If this was too fast to write down, I left the information as usual in the show notes. Also, if you liked what you listened to, please rate my show on the podcast platform of your choice. Take care, folks. You've been listening to Chemistry in Everyday Life, a podcast about chemistry that happens all around us, explained in layman's terms. Thank you for listening.